Welcome back to the program. When we look at the immigrant history of America, it can perhaps best be told through its food. As neighborhoods emerged and changed, so did the restaurants, just as they do today. Roy Choi is one of the founders of the food truck movement, but more than that, his food, his trucks, his four restaurants represent the melting pot that is Los Angeles today. A blending of American, Asian, Caribbean, and Mexican influences, Roy Choi sits at the cutting edge of our emerging culture. He's written about his experiences, about growing up, and how he's come to this unique place in his new memoir, L.A. Sun, My Life, My City, My Food. Roy Choi, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, nice to talk to you. Great to have you here. I know you've talked a lot about food, and certainly that sits at the center of this. But I want to also talk about Los Angeles, because in many ways, L.A. is a character in your growing up, as it is a character in, in the evolution of your food. Talk a little about that, Roy. Yeah, I mean, that's the power of the city. We first started out just trying to write, kind of look kind of look back and write a memoir as to why I cook the way I do. But then as the story kept developing, L.A. kept sticking its head out and saying, look at me, look at me. And um, the more and more I wrote about the city and the more and more I looked at all the little nuances of how I grew up, I realized that the city was a character and that it was our immigration, it was the freedom, it was the wide roads the sunshine, the sunsets, um, and just like trying to figure things out. It was it was almost like a blank page that you could write and scribble your own future on. There's also the degree to which it changed so dramatically and continued to evolve in terms of its immigrant population, in terms of its influences, as you were growing up, both in Orange County and in L.A. Yeah, and I think that's why the story resonates so much, is that it almost documents 40 years of immigration, um, of Asian immigration, but also Latino immigration. And um, it just, you know, from a start where there was hardly any people here that had come from other countries, and then to see them grow, not only grow, but then have children, have those children grow up and go through all the struggles of the American school system and teenage angst and, you know, success and troubles and joys and pains, and then and they come out and be adults themselves, you know, um, I mean, it, looking at it, it's, it's pretty crazy because I didn't intend to write that story, but um, just by the fact that I lived during this time, um, it, it ended up being that story. You were also willing to go outside of your own group. and You talk about growing up that even among the Asian population, you broke out of that. You had a tremendous involvement with the Mexican and Hispanic influence in L.A. Yeah, I think it's... Um, as Asian Americans, we have a tough time sometimes with our identity because the first generation many times doesn't think we're Korean enough or Chinese enough or whatever it is. And then in America, because of our skin and the way we look, we don't look like we're American. So we're stuck in the middle somehow. Um, so a lot of us go through this struggle, this journey of trying to, trying to connect to something that we, that, that we feel good about. And that could be anything. It could be hip-hop, it could be Latino culture, it could be American culture, it could be New Wave, you know, whatever it is. But um, it's almost just like like pollen, you know, just sifting and going through the air and looking for something you can, you can connect to. What were the things that you wanted to connect to? Talk a little bit about growing up and the things that caught your eye, that really attracted your interest. Me, I've always been someone that notices the small things, what I call the in-between moments, um, 
people waiting at the bus stop, uh, ladies cooking pupusas or, um, you know, someone just looking at the window or someone sweeping the, sweeping in front of a liquor store. Um, I guess like street photography, you know how street photography captures mm-hmm. moments and maybe captures a wrinkle in someone's face and it's almost like that transports you to all the struggle and joy that and kind of displacement or or life that they've lived. That's kind of the way I, I, I look at the city. Just um it slows down for me when I see those things. And how did that vision, how did those views of the city morph into food for you and, and, and really the blending of foods and the blending of cultures that you've done? So I think, um, you know, in life sometimes you have to gain experience and technique and knowledge. Um, you don't wake up and all of a sudden you're able to translate everything you feel. I had to go through many, many years. Of, of training, and um, I never, you know, it wasn't up until Kobe that I really had this kind of expression all the way. I was a professional chef. I was cooking really good food for lots and lots of people, but I wasn't, I wasn't really, really like singing my own song, you know. And um, I think, but that was important for me to do that. It was important for me to train, to be a chef, to understand systems. And then when this thing happened, when the levee broke. And I went out there on the streets. Um, I was able to translate what I was feeling. I was able to translate all of my, my immigration, my life, my parents, um, the confusion of growing up in America, everything. And it became my food because I grew up around food. And um, it was growing up around it, my family lineage, growing up in L.A. with so many flavors and smells, and then training as well. And then all of that getting to a point where the levee broke. And then it just became my expression. One of the things you were able to merge, and you talk about this in terms of your own experience growing up, was the private food, the food that was in the refrigerator at home versus the food that was out there in the public, what you would take to school for lunch. Talk about that. Yeah, well, Korean food, um, a lot of our food is marinated and fermented and pickled. So, and then we also uh, salt cure a lot of things. So, um, I know it's, especially in the Western mind, it's, it's very romantic to see maybe prosciutto um, or, a, you know, like a serrano ham um, or even Parmesan cheese. Uh, it's, very, it's very romantic to see those things, but in many ways, for young American kids, it's not romantic to see dead fish hanging on <laughs> wire uh, across your front yard, um, and to see like, you know, to see like clear, big clear bottles all over the floor filled with fermented paste, paste and and you know marinades. So, for me, I grew up around that. I grew up around all those flavors, all all of the stinky food. But then going out, you know, at home, that's normal. But then you go out and you got to go to school. You got to go to junior high. You're 13 years old, whatever it is. And um, everyone's eating sandwiches, you know, and uh, chips and Gatorade. And um, and so it, it, it was just tough transitioning, trying to find a, a touch point between what is reality, what is not. Um, I love this food, but no one else understood it around me. Uh, trying to live within that conflict, 
um, recently I opened a restaurant a few years ago called Peco that tried to explore that, that thing, that weird place that I can't, could never really put a word to, which is you open your refrigerator, there's all kinds of weird stuff in there. <laughs> and then, um, how you can't explain that sometimes to your American friends. Um, and so a lot of us live double lives. We would not open that refrigerator in front of people. You know, we, it would just be a family thing. And we go out and then we go out with the brown bag with, with, uh, peanut butter and jelly. But, um, Chago, which is the place that oh, was just a little rice bowl place, but that was a, a little bit of, um, of a, a exploration of that. Like here, we're going to open this refrigerator and we're going to show everyone and you're going to love it, you know, because every Asian kid will understand, you know, um, like uh, a lot of Chicano kids, a lot of my friends that grew up with a uh, with, with a pan of frijoles on the uh, on the stove with aluminum foil over it, and you know, um, just something that you really know that happens in your home. Um, and so that's how I grew up, and that's what I wanted to show. From what you've seen and from your own experience, talk about the ways in which you have been able to understand other cultures, even beyond the Korean food, but whether it's Mexican culture, Caribbean culture, the way you've been able to understand those cultures and really get underneath the surface by understanding the food. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, a few things. Like, I think one is, Humility and a sensitive sensitivity towards things. Just taking a moment and really not just glazing over something. Whether it's trying to understand the food from Jamaica and Trinidad and Haiti and Puerto Rico and Cuba, you know, just like in the, you know, just trying to like really being humble about it, opening my mind, listening, researching, smelling, and then opening up my third eye. To be honest, you know. Um, just opening up my spiritual side and trying to connect with that energy and that feeling and that flavor. And then the other part is not trying to be authentic. So once I've, I feel like I've connected to something, um, both consciously and, you know, unconsciously, and I feel like I'm honest with it, then um, I make another pact with myself to not be authentic and to not feel like I have to, that I am doing Jamaican food. Well, that was, it's more like a DJ, you know, with records. I feel like I'm making a new sound with, with, with the components that already exist and culture that exists. And uh, I'm not disrespecting either. I'm, I'm just creating a new sound. And that's how I look at food. Talk about the food trucks and the idea of the Koji trucks and how that came to be. Um, I, uh, food trucks, the, the co- the Kogi trucks came to be from a friend of mine. Um, he's my business partner. He, we used to work together at Beverly Hilton and, uh, I lost my job. I couldn't find him. It was in the middle of the, of the economic downturn. Um, I was overqualified for a lot of positions, but I was also, I think, tapped out. Um, I think I, I hit the end of the road. I didn't know it yet, but I think it did as far as being, you know, a professional salary man. And uh, I was struggling with money, and my friend called me, and um, he said, Roy, let's open a taco truck. And I, I think it was just one of those things in life, you know. If he would ask me at any other moment in time, uh, I probably would have said, no, I was a grown man by that time. No, I, I wasn't like 1920. I, 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 was, I probably wouldn't have just gone off on a whim and 
started selling tacos at midnight, you know, but, um, because he called me at that exact moment, um, it was just, there was nothing left for me to protect. You know, it was just that moment. It was just, all right, let's do it. Let's do it, Mark. Let's go. <laughs> and, um, and it just went from there. What did you understand or come to appreciate about street food and, and, and really related to how successful these Kogi trucks would be? Uh, what I have so much information by being out on the street. It was, um, I've already been, you know, part of the city for so long and, you know, cruising back when I was young and just being a part, but going from a different perspective and actually feeding the street, um, just that direct communication, that ability to hand food to someone directly right there in that moment, no filter. Um, I think it was really that. It was the no filter. It, it was just one-on-one contact directly. As a chef, sometimes you don't have that. You know, you're you're in the kitchen and there are waiters that act as your buffer in many ways. Um, but to be out on the street, and then a lot of times in restaurants, you're, you're feeding people, um, or even the hotels, wherever. You're feeding people that have made conscious decisions to actually come there, right? So it's a different... It's a whole different context sometimes. But on the street, sometimes you're feeding people that didn't intend to eat at that moment. They're just walking by and they're eating, they just decide to eat at your truck. And so, um, that coupled with the, the no filter and just being right there, out there. And then, uh, this, this kind of hunger on both sides, hunger from the people who eat it and the hunger for yourself to drive around and try to feed it. Um, all of that, it just changed my whole perspective for food. You were at the Culinary Institute of America in New York, and I'm sure that a lot of your fellow students there wound up in, in restaurants and, and working in the fine food area. Talk a little bit about how different that is as you talk to some of them, how different it is or not from the world that you've pursued. Uh, it used to be a lot different, but uh, I think through Kogi, it changed a lot, and I'm very proud of that. You know, and it, it allowed a lot of students to be able to look at the whole landscape of food instead of just fine dining. Uh, fine dining is a very important part of our, our culinary world. Um, it, it's the basis in which we continue to push things forward. Um, it's like, you know, it's just like classical or jazz music, it, it, it's necessary and it's there. But uh, there's got to be hip-hop and rock and roll and folk and all this other stuff, too, you know. Like so, But the problem was there was none of that other stuff going on. So there was only one avenue to go many times out of culinary school. But I just came back from the CIA in New York um, on this book tour and uh, met all the kids. And maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, they would have never, ever even been excited about a food truck guy coming through or even they themselves think of opening a food truck. And I would say more than 50, 60% of the students I met would just, like, all want to open food trucks, you know. <laughs> and um, I think that's a beautiful thing because you're talking about the future generation of our chefs that may influence the street food culture of our country because they've opened their mind to it. And now, because their mind is open to it and their soul is open to it, their ability and their talent will contribute to it. And so um, it will just... It'll, it'll just make things you know, a lot better. Roy Choi, the book is L.A. Sun, My Life, My City, My Food. 
Roy, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.